Starting up a business is hard, really, really hard. Your chances of failure are high. You're likely to lose both your sleep and your hair. But luckily for you, you're not alone. Welcome to ET Startup School, your step-by-step -step guide to starting, building and consolidating your startup business idea. Your teachers at the ET Startup School will be some of India's best-known entrepreneurs, VCs and domain experts. So grab a notebook, pay close attention, school is about to start. Today's class at ET Startup School is called, What Kind of Company Should I Start? Your teacher is Ganesh Prasad. Ganesh is a partner in the Corporate and Commercial Practice Group at Khaitan & Company, one of India's leading law firms. With over 20 years of experience, Ganesh specializes in domestic and foreign venture capital and private equity investments in a variety of sectors. You may not know Ganesh, but you definitely know the brands he helped bring to India. Brands like Uber, WeWork and Booking.com. Hi Ganesh, welcome to ET Startup School. First question for you. Many founders uh, typically work on a business idea when they're still in a full-time job. What are the legal implications of this? It all depends primarily on uh, the contractual arrangement that they actually have with their uh, uh, respective employers. Uh, sometimes uh, uh, they have uh, fairly exhaustive employment manuals which sort of uh, bars them and, you know, from... Uh, you know, doing any of uh, these things, uh, whether uh, while they are in employment of this particular company, if there is no bar, if they have done it outside of their uh, employment time, you know, from the company's time, so technically uh, it should be okay. But uh, the IP in which most people, uh, because most people have an idea, and you know, that's an expression of an idea which sort of translates into a startup so if they are working on it uh, from a back end after uh, their uh, you know uh, time with the company uh, i think it's sort of okay however you still leave a small room for your former employer to sort of uh, come back against you and litigate in case uh, uh, he finds that uh, little challenging we have seen those cases too You've seen that as well. Yeah. Now, what are the chances that an employer, suppose I had a full-time job, I worked on a startup on the weekends, I came up with something, I quit my job, I founded my startup. Now, my employer calls me and says, okay, no problem. I just want a stake in your company because you were working for me while you came up with this. Is there a risk of the employer asking for a stake? See, anybody can come and this is free India. They can ask whatever they want. I mean, uh, they can. I, I have seen some ridiculous claims being made by some employers. The, the, the burden of proof then would be really on the employee in question that, you know, he did not use the company's resources of his former employer. He did not use the time of the, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, of the company uh, during which, you know, he was actually employed. Of course, you know, moonlighting today is a larger issue, which I think everyone has been, uh, uh, talking about. So it really boils down to the employment manual. Uh, in which, uh, you know, if, if a particular company has robust employment manuals where they say that, you know, you will de dedicate all of your time, no matter what it is, because, you know, I think with COVID, what has happened is the, the, the line between uh, what is office and what is uh, home has actually gotten blurred. So it's very easy for somebody to make such an argument. But having said that, can you prove it? 
that will be up to the uh, you know uh, both of them who are warring eventually but i think people should not really worry about it uh, i have one thumb rule which i always advise people on go ahead do what you have to and if there is a brilliant idea and you have sort of done something that can always and that's going to actually create value and that's going to unlock value in the larger ecosystem don't worry about the nitigrities and the smaller aspects they will generally fall into place that's good advice so would the takeaway from this answer be that all employees should study their employment contracts pretty carefully or sit with a lawyer and go through their employment contract once just to be on the safe side yes uh the way uh employment contracts uh, specifically are being designed today um and also because of the hybrid model what we currently are looking at post the the, the great resignation if i may add uh with the scarcity of employees uh, across uh, sectors uh, i think it is very important that people actually come up with uh, really robust employment agreements uh with wherein the ip uh, uh is protected and anything which if 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 you it depends on which uh, side of the table you are if you are on the side of the employer the former employer in question then you know obviously you will want to make it that much watertight okay ganesh assume that i quit my job i came up with an idea it's a reasonably good idea i've got a co-founder and now i'm going to uh, figure out what kind of company structure should i incorporate so what kind of structure should a startup founder consider uh, so if you're saying you got an idea and that is the expression of an idea and it's a fantastic idea nobody has ever thought about it and this idea is going to revolutionize the industry and this is the the thing which i guess the whole world was waiting for hopefully yeah <laughs> i think you should just go for a company uh rather than any other form you have various other things like a sole proprietorship or an llp uh um, and i'm not going to get into some of the uh, other uh, you know companies by guarantees and all of those things but you know largely if you are a startup uh, entrepreneur Uh, i think you should just go for a private limited company why because you can raise capital you can have angel investors you can have uh, people invest in you and eventually uh, that will scale up and you have an you have a ready uh, system which can scale up i think that is my advice but if your idea is not so mature and you still exploring like the exploring waters basically that i would say start slowly be a sole proprietorship that might be a better option for you than take the burden of compliance because a company has a lot of compliance related uh, filings in legal terms uh, ganesh what is a sole proprietorship and what kind of business should consider this what kind of startup should consider this a uh, sole proprietorship is when you basically have uh, just uh, i would say you are the you are the whole and soul of that particular business and everything is run because of you and with maybe very very limited workforce uh you do not have a formal structure to that particular entity it's like a mom and pop uh, dukan as what what we call it that's usually a sole proprietorship where will it be relevant if you are possibly a let's say depends again on the vintage of that particular employee so if somebody who has sort of spent a lot lot of time now he's on his retirement and but he doesn't want to retire actively but he wants to do some consulting work 
So our sole proprietorship is better for him. Oh. Next question, what is an LLP? What's a limited liability partnership? So a limited liability partnership was basically uh, enacted as a piece of legislation. It came into existence. You know, there was earlier the Partnership Act, which defined the relationship between people. Partnership Act, actually, the way it sort of defines uh, under the earlier Partnership Act was that it governs the relationship between a group of people. And it had unlimited liability. And then comes in the limited liability partnership uh, concept where the liability of the partnership partners are basically limited. Now, today, if you ask me, uh, there is no difference. Uh, it, it's actually very similar. You know, I would rather say, uh, you know, to a private limited company and an LLP. But the compliance obligation is a lot more in a company. But in a limited liability partnership, you do not have that level of compliance obligation. Earlier, there, there were certain things about dividend distribution and there were, there were certain tax advantages, but I think that has all been plugged. Uh, and I think given that, uh, I would possibly say uh, it is not so attractive to somebody who is not very defined uh, in terms of what they want. Uh, uh, or, or what they don't know, the, they don't know the, where their company is going to go. It's it's a, it's in high sea, and it will all depend on market forces. That is where you go uh, for a company. But when you know where you're going, then you sort of form a partnership. But that partnership is going to have limited liability, where the liability of the partners will be limited to the extent of their uh, capital investment. So that is where it is. Is there anything else that founders need to know about liability, the word liability? Earlier, Partnership Act obviously had uh, personal liability. Now, in the current uh, uh, limited liability partnership uh, you know, structures, it is limited to the extent of normally. And again, we lawyers love these, uh, the, the grayness of the uh, whole thing. Normally, uh, as uh, unless courts actually sort of uh, go behind your assets, saying that there is apparent fraud or there is something else which you have sort you are guilty of as a as a name partner there, uh, your liability is limited to the extent of the capital that you have brought in. So that was the actual intent of the LLP which came in. And unlimited liability, just to clarify, means that. Uh, my personal assets are liable as well. In yes, case they, they go they go behind your um, assets personal and assets and they can possibly attach whatever they wanted to. That was what was the earlier uh, concept. Part. So what kind of businesses are best suited for LLP structures? Earlier, we would possibly, because of the tax advantage which was there, we would sort of uh, advise on, uh, uh, you know, the some of these structures. But now, and, and also the ability to raise capital. See, if you are going to get a, a sophisticated investor, he would not want to sit in an LLP. He would want to come in a company. If you want to go about and scale up that particular entity, you have the scaling up can happen in terms of, you know, number of investors, number of rounds of investments in a company better rather than an LLP. Usually the way we see it today, uh, law firms are LLPs. We see consulting firms as LLPs, uh, audit firms as LLPs, uh, tax firms as LLPs. So somebody who is in the consulting role, uh, where they know there is a defined structure, they know whom to admit, they know whom not to admit. Uh, 
and they sort of are contractually in control of their existence and their future uh, largely are people who should possibly go for LLPs. But when you are in high sea, um, you don't know whether you're going to sink or you're going to like really go to the shore or maybe, you know, like um, it's uh, something which would be the blockbuster idea of yours, which would go, uh, you know, listed on NASDAQ and, you know, NYSE and all of that. The company structure is always the, be the better one. Now tell us, what is a private limited company in legal terms? You have, of course, said that this is one of the best structures in case you want to raise money, you want to scale. For all of those reasons, private limited is a good option. In legal terms, what does a private limited company mean and what does a founder need to know? In an LLP, you have a partner, you have a designated partner who is basically the guy on whom all liabilities vest, the day-to-day -day operations vest, and the rest of them are not really not so liable on for day-to-day -day operations. But in, an, in a private limited company, there is something known as a perpetual succession. Does, it doesn't matter if uh, one of the shareholder dies, his, there is always, it moves on. It's, it's very similar to an LLP largely. Uh, I would possibly say there is uh, this other element of uh, uh, directors who come in here from partners. There is a change, direct directors. Now, director liability, unfortunately, is fairly large. And in private companies, uh, see, you, again, you're, you're going on chartering in high sea. Now, if you're going to charter in high sea, you will also have rough weather, which means the compliance part, as I would possibly put in, is a little more. Uh, and uh, there is uh, the concept of a common seal, which I think is a little dated today. Uh, you know, but, but for certain documents, you don't really require a common seal. Uh, and uh, there are certain, there is a lot of compliance when you have to do rounds of uh, uh, capital raise. Whether what it's does a that mean, A common seal, I'm sorry to interrupt you. The, is that a legal term, common seal? Yes, so I'll tell you. It's a colonial piece of hangover, uh, uh, I, as I would love to call it, uh, where uh, you basically have a seal, like, you know, mohar. Mm -hmm. uh, which is oh, adopted by physical seal. It's, then, it's yeah. an actual physical thing, okay. which actually embosses uh the the paper uh on which it is um and that becomes the seal adopted by the uh by the company so there are certain uh documents on which uh it could be a financing document some of them kind of actually insist um there, there are a couple of them where the common seal uh is required to be affixed then there is a, a perpetual uh, uh, continuity the directors are there uh, then the sharehold, uh, and then of course the liability is limited to the extent of the shareholding of each shareholder. Normally, again, I, d I mean, again, it, it comes into the grayness part of it. Uh, there is a concept of lifting of the corporate veil, uh, which is usually done in case of apparent fraud, uh, where uh, because liability uh, is uh, not associated with the shareholders normally. So I'll just take a step back here. You need to understand the, uh, the difference between what is control and what is management. Now, in a private company, uh, usually the management is expected to be run by directors. They can, they can be directors, uh, they can be shareholders, they can actually hold shares or they may not hold shares. They can, it can be a professionally run company. Now, uh, if uh, for some reason, uh, Let's say I put two, three of my, uh, I would say, lack of a better word, 
somebody gullible as directors and basically make them do all the nonsense that I want them to, controlling them from behind, then technically that means uh, that I am the largest shareholder who actually is acting uh, through these directors. So there are times when, you know, if at all uh, there, are, uh, there is apparent fraud and such like where, uh, uh, you know, the courts have actually sort of lifted the concept of a corporate veil because normally liability sticks only with the directors. But sometimes because of mischief played, the courts have actually said, listen, it is not just the director there. It was you as a shareholder who was playing them. So I'm coming back to you. And there have been instances where a founder has been removed from his or her post, right? If I'm not mistaken. Oh, yes. company, yeah. So under what, under what circumstance can a founder be removed from his or her own company? It's a very good question. Uh, we always sort of uh, see there is a contractual part of the story then there is actually the number of shares shareholding what actually constitutes your actual shareholding in a particular company now uh, if i'm going to continue if i keep on raising funds and funds and angel investors then there is vc investment there is private equity investment so my 100% of my shareholdings keeps keeps you know like dropping to a smaller percentage now comes a point when the investor basically has a right uh, because they come and it's like uh, they will ask for the closest pound of flesh closest to the heart <laughs> of uh, of the <laughs> of the promoter where sometimes they lose their companies mm -hmm. uh, when can that happen that can happen when they fall below a particular threshold or when they have certain rights uh, which are contractually agreed upon because when they invested in they put in they agreed to the, the invest the uh, promoter in question agreed to those rights. Uh, so then technically you can remove them from the company, but you cannot, let me tell you, you, you can remove, usually it is a case of you removing them from uh, management as a director. You cannot take, and if you were to sort of go to the next level where you are effectively squeezing them out or you're basically, you know, uh, taking his shares, what we call is you call upon his shares because, you know, they have defaulted on certain things. Uh, which is which, which are again provisions what you sort of see normally in uh, typical VC investments. Um, you know, you're basically like you've signed up your house and you, you uh, and you signed off your house to a bank and you've defaulted there. What happens? The bank is basically calling can, you. Can claw your house away from you. Yeah, absolutely. So that's exactly what uh, happens. Uh, normally, we see that. Uh, uh, it's a fairly contentious uh, scene at that point in time. We have seen that in a lot of companies right now. You know, that's where I guess uh, some of the structures like, you know, preferential shares, uh, which are, which basically convert into a particular, you know, this was actually a concept of, uh, which was which was a Western concept where uh, you, uh, which, we, it, it was from the US jurisprudence. Uh, we had uh, certain uh, shares which uh, would uh, possibly vest in case there is a takeover or for that uh, if if somebody is trying to sort of reduce your percentage then you exercise that particular right saying that listen i'm going to now come back from let's say 10 to 51 or whatever that percentage might be so there were certain of these rights which uh, were included in western jurisprudence now today of course if you are uh, holding certain preference shares or let's say if you are holding uh, debentures which are convertible into equity shares of a, of a disproportionate nature 
then I think the the promoter is actually in good shape. But it depends on what you agree. Eventually. Ganesh, it seems like uh, all startup founders should engage a law firm, but uh, I'm fairly certain many of them are cash strapped and cannot engage a fancy firm like Kaitan and company. So what should a young startup firm do in terms of engaging uh, a lawyer or a law firm? Good question. Uh, again, uh, I would say, see, if you meet a lawyer, you see, usually when you go to a law firm, there are 90% of the people who come to us uh, or to a tier one law firm come recommended through someone or the other who is a friend or friend of a friend. You know them. You'll have some kind of a uh, touch point there. Uh, and if that particular touch point is a genuine uh, touch point, which is a reliable and uh, uh, which is uh, the, the, the source of reference, basically somebody who is reliable, then normally we have seen two things one you give certain shares to the lawyers uh, in the startup and the lawyers basically spend their time and energy uh, uh, in consideration for that particular uh, consideration stake or uh, in that uh, in, in such company so that actually is not you're not really going out of pocket in that sense but uh, you don't have cash you don't you're not paying them in cash but it is non-cash consideration what you actually sort of uh, end up paying i would uh while there are certain law firms which are actually doing that but uh, not possibly adopted by many uh, of the law firms uh, some law firms it's a handshake it because we are in the business of relationships we are in the we are here for the long run and so what happens uh, it's a golden handshake uh, in a different uh, in a different uh, form and uh, uh, meaning where you basically say listen i have come to you this is what i can afford at this point in time but the moment i raise my first round of investment that is when you charge me so it's a waterfall mechanism wait till be i that. become rich and famous then i'll pay you your it's proper fee proper fee until then just take a token take just a token. to you know uh, give you some context i have been paid uh, by somebody who could not afford me i don't want to name them it's a very very large company today mm -hmm. uh, in uh, Tirupati Laddus. In Tirupati Laddus. I yes. was going to ask you if it is bottles of vodka or something, but yeah, Tirupati <laughs> Laddus is a good option. He basically went uh, to Tirupati and uh, he said, I prayed to the Lord to bless me and uh, to make my venture uh, a, a great success. And all I can afford right now is this amount of money and this as prasad. This volume I of laddus. Yeah. Yes. I just took the prasad. I said, keep the money. You will need it. We will see when you sort of become big. Did they eventually end up paying you? Yes. Uh, they came back as a good client, a very paying client. See, that's where I guess it's a call of uh, the lawyer's faith in that particular idea. Because when we see ideas, we see a lot of ideas. We know what will work usually. Uh, because at the end of the day, our roles as lawyers it has changed it has evolved we now are more like bankers we know what will work largely and what will not work largely so sometimes you know if we see the uh, novelty in that particular uh, idea we usually sort of like uh, would like to participate we are always we also as lawyers we are not looking just as um, at legal legalese or putting some document there we also want to be part of a creation of a 
enterprise. Okay, so that's good to know that a founder can actually uh, pay you with stake and hopefully not with laddus all the time, but they can hire a firm like Kaitan and Company if they negotiate the right amount of stake. We do not take stake. I just just to just let you know at this point in time, uh, we sort of like just uh, defer it. We just say golden handshake and you come back when you're ready. But there are other firms you're saying there are, there are there are there you are. can negotiate a stake exchange for legal services. Yes. Yes, yes. Ganesh, in 2017, a founder named Yogendra Vasupal, he went to jail for alleged fraud, for apparently not paying back a vendor office or something. What are the legal risks that a startup founder needs to be aware of? And if I'm a founder, under what conditions can I actually go to jail? See, fraud is fraud. Okay. Whether you're a founder of a startup or whether you're a founder of a uh, you know, you're you're a sole proprietor, or if I'm just sitting at my home and I basically, you know, don't pay somebody, it's it's basically fraudulent. But jail seems a bit extreme. Uh, unfortunately, uh, fraud is uh, under Section 420, uh, which basically is cheating, and uh, that is the law of the land. Now, what happens? Uh, it's see, usually what happens here is. Uh, Whenever we see disputes, and one of the key advice I keep telling people, please don't come to lawyers. Waste of your time, waste of money. And You just tell them not to come to lawyers in spite abs- of being a lawyer yourself. Abs- absolutely. Don't, you know, okay. if you're fighting, the first thing that I tell people, please do not fight, just settle it out. Whatever the hell it is, just, you know, do a handshake and just move on. Mm-hmm. Cut your losses and move on. Don't spend money unnecessarily on the proceedings of courts don't mm-hmm. spend money on it's wasteful money see when you when you engage us as on a fundraise when you engage us when you're going uh, public when you're doing an MA, it's meaningful it's mm-hmm. it's a positive influence on the company and positive influence for everybody mm-hmm. but when you're actually going about and fighting because i either have an ego issue or i refuse to sort of uh, you know honor my commitments or i have an integrity issue then sort it amongst yourself do not come to us because you, it's, it's a waste of your time and you, we will basically bill you. We will, the courts will basically, they're already saddled with time. It's uh, the typical what, uh, you know, there was this movie, uh, Tariq Pe Tariq Pe Tariq. And, yeah, uh, <laughs> Damini. Yeah. Uh, Damini. So it's one of those things which uh, will end up, you'll, you'll basically go up the ladder, but you'll never know when you're going to, where you're going to go. All right. So interesting advice from a lawyer. Try and settle with a handshake, be amicable. If you can avoid Always. going to lawyer for disputes and going to the courts for disputes, avoid it. Yes, yes. Unless, of course, unless you have you strongly believe in it that you know you have been wrong, and sometimes okay. the, the the value is high, very very high. And that, is there anything else about the law that a startup founder needs to know? Is there a law primer that every startup founder should go through? A basic law primer. Integrity, honesty are two things which you need to start with, and it has to come from within. It is not something that, you know, you say that, listen, I am a very responsible business. No, it has to come from within. And that has to be the mantra on which you operate. If you are able to sort of comply with the letter of the law, if you are able to comply with uh, what are the laws that really sort of affect somebody as an entrepreneur. Or like how do I find that out? Because sometimes the law is written in legalese language. So as an entrepreneur, yeah. how do I figure out what are the laws that apply to me? So fair enough. Uh, I would possibly say, do you know something that there is not a single company which is existing today? And I'm telling you this with hand on my heart. I have possibly about 20, uh, more than two decades of experience. And all the poster boys of your uh, 
uh, of the of startups and everybody else or for that matter who become mature gone public whatever the hell it is there will be something or the other which is missing startups the one advice i give is focus on your business don't worry about the law law will get fixed law is to enable business it is not the other way around number one number two what is what are the laws that you really need to sort of focus on you need to know your employment law which is your labor laws because i think there are liabilities around it now of course uh, if depending on the nature of the startup how many people are there what is the uh, strength of the startup and all of that uh, if they become sophisticated not sophisticated below 20 less than 10 all of these kind of things are there it is something which you will need to sort of maintain records its main compliance you will need to hire somebody who is possibly a lawyer or a consultant or sometimes the chartered accountant also sort of doubles up there um, and uh, they sort of do this for you the second more Im most important thing which i see in the current context is the indirect tax regulations of this country in the name of gst i think there is so much of uh, harassment just just general harassment by the uh, regulators so make sure that your direct tax and indirect tax books are in order and your uh, house is in order if you have these three things in order then i think you're good to go don't worry about the rest of course if you're having if it's an idea and you're protecting everything else all of those things in terms of ip protection how you are going to sort of whether it is it belongs to you the strong employment agreements uh, your uh, employee 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 handbooks and manuals and all of that it comes in that whole category of what i call as labor law uh, compliance all right ganesh what do startup founders need to know about trademarks copyright and patents i recently saw somebody posting online that their clothing design was copied by somebody else a startup's clothing design but there's also a law apparently that says items of utility like clothing and furniture cannot actually be copyrighted or patented. So on one hand, you get upset that somebody is copying you or infringing on what you think is your creation. On the other hand, maybe you don't know the law well enough. So what do we need to know as entrepreneurs about trademarks, copyright and patents? Okay, so trademark is the trademark of your business. You obviously... Quite often we call it a logo as well, if I'm not logo mistaken. Well. Yes, of course. Uh, you need to sort of get it, uh, if it's an idea worth uh, um, any salt, then obviously you need to get that right. You need to find your trademark. And unfortunately, the, the way intellectual property rights are, it's, uh, the, it's, it's you have the European office, you have the US office, you have the Indian office, you have the Indian patent office, you have the US patent office, you have the European patent office. You will have to get a patent in each of these places. Yes. Now, in terms of the, uh, see what happens in terms of copyright itself. Let's say it's effectively the expression of all of those quotes that you possibly have made your platform. It could be a design. Let's say what in, in, to answer your question. What is that you are effectively looking at? I can't patent my design for, let's say, a, a, a piece of cloth, clothing. You can technically, but uh, you know, if it's a, a you will, it's effectively a design. It's, 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 so there is a copyright in that particular design in the way it is structured and everything else. So I would possibly broadly classify that as an, a piece of intellectual property. 
if it is so significant that it is actually creating value for you you should definitely go and uh, you know protect it the flip side to that is the moment you sort of make any application to the patent office whatever novelty you have in any idea that is actually in public domain so you, have you know to disclose it yeah you are you are disclosing it uh, what that also that means is uh, there is reverse engineering which immediately kicks in Mm-hmm. somebody you know will come there there's a chinese company which i'm i i nothing against them but uh, you know there's a chinese innovator let me put it that way who will possibly come there and say hey listen you know if i do the same thing differently like this this can be achieved and that is uh, and i can apply for a different patent mm-hmm. so you just uh, change a couple of the parameters and you get the same product those things are the risks that you run otherwise you sort of keep it as a trade secret um in which case you know i don't know how long you'll want to protect it okay india of course is the startup capital of the world with hundreds of startups and unicorns and all of that the system the ecosystem is buzzing but ganesh yet we hear of startup founders choosing to incorporate their companies in countries like singapore or dubai why are they doing this what are the advantages and disadvantages three four questions i i very 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 pertinent valid question uh one I'll answer this in two, three portions. One, it's the ease of doing business. Second, tax rates. A Singapore company will have lesser tax rates. A UAE company will have lesser tax rates than the kind of taxation that a Indian company is required to sort of put in. If you were to attract uh, financial inv- investors, uh, when they see a Singapore company, when they see somebody uh, who is outside India. not that you know people don't invest into indian companies like there is venture capital there, is, there are private equity companies which are uh, very very active but you know there is this whole comfort level for a lot of the funds that listen this is somebody who is a western fund in their mind it's you know even if it is in singapore it's in their mind a western fund um now a western company it's like it's 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 the it's well uh, run it's probably uh, a better uh, then coming into india where if i get into a dispute situation uh with the promoters then i don't know what uh, what i'm trading on it's, it's thin ice and uh, again we go back to the tarik pe tarik pe tarik situation uh so rather than sort of like just uh, have certain agreements which are rather uh, robust and which will be respected uh of course indian uh, diaspora also we have sort of crossed those bridges of uh, and we have our uh, judiciary has been quite strong it it continues to be strong uh, we possibly are seeing uh, dispute resolutions at a much faster pace than what used to be earlier uh, a rather uh, long saga uh, but having said that uh, that's definitely an advantage the third one um, the sectors itself the sector in it, in which you are operating like i advise a lot on gaming companies i advise a lot on uh, bitcoin companies uh, now the problem here is the indian government uh, uh, government's current view right now uh, they're going against all of the gaming companies you know they're uh, saying that oh listen this is gambling now even set principles are being questioned and they get questioned every time there is police action when you're sort of like you know like uh, having uh, a, ga- a game like let's say a rummy Uh, uh which is uh, more or less a settled proposition that it is actually a game of skill and there will be somebody who will basically go behind you and say oh listen you are running a gambling den and this is prohibited and i i have the powers to sort of lock you up as a thing. some of these things actually sort of matter 
so depending on what which sector you are in and with all of these uh, other uh, parameters keeping in mind uh, people definitely are looking at other jurisdictions and of course the uh, the the lifestyle which possibly Fair that's that's a factor as well yeah okay ganesh final question uh, this question is about transitions how easy is it to, to transition suppose i started a sole proprietorship i want to become an llp or i want to become a private limited or i incorporate a company in india and i say okay after a couple of years i want to move it to singapore how easy or difficult are these transitions see the more uh, mature a company is or more mature a sole proprietorship is the more mature the entity is it's like see you you basically put the roots are spread now we are going to uproot it and you're going to put it into singapore or some it be what we call as an externalization structure one there are tax issues because there is uh, you know the the first thing is that you have created value here you're uprooting here and there you know it depends on how you're doing it of course uh whenever you externalize anything it is best done uh, rather i would not uh, uh, say that you it's best done that you start in singapore or in some other jurisdiction outside but whenever you decide to sort of move do that particular choice early in in uh, the ecosystem uh, because what's going to happen is uh, if you do not do so i would say that the cost of compliance and i would say the cost of you know the the sev- the severance of the umbilical cord between india and you know eventually sticking it up is going to be fairly a large number that's something which is avoidable all right ganesh prasad of khetan and company thank you very much for talking to us at et startup schools well, thank you thank you for having me pleasure So that brings us to almost the end of today's class at ET Startup School. If you'd like to be a good student, check out and do the homework assignment in the show notes. If you like the podcast, share it with family, friends, even your frenemies. ET Startup School is produced by Animesh Das with inputs from Anupriya Nair, Erika Dzuza, Arijit Barman, Shilpa Sharma, Harish Shavla, Govind Mundra and Vishal Bhandari. ET Startup School is available on economictimes.com and ET Play. as well as amazon music apple podcasts spotify geo7 and google podcasts 